Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us, again, we welcome you. If you would be, open your Bibles to Ephesians, the fourth chapter. Ephesians, the fourth chapter, as we'll continue to study deeper into the heritage and the life that we can have in Jesus Christ. What a wonderful study. Uh, Any time to study from God's Word, what a wonderful study when we can study from the writings of the Apostle Paul. We appreciate uh, so much the efforts of a committee that worked together several years ago. Uh, under the title and the framework of the 2020 Committee. Uh, Individuals got together and dreamt of where we could be as a congregation, where we ought to be as a congregation by the year 2020, and can we see clearly the way to get there. One of the things that we did was we evaluated the fact of how many ministers, how many missionaries are we growing in the life of this congregation. Now, not to rain on our parade, but... We were somewhat discouraged by what we found. Uh, Even though we'd been here and been, hopefully, a great congregation for well over 100 years, now almost 117 years, I believe, uh, we had hardly any. Uh, We can't believe that God would be thankful for that. And so proposals had been made and drawn up. The elders have talked and discussed this in depth over the last several years. Uh, Many things have been done. Uh, You remember how now we have groups of young men that go to neighboring congregations regularly all throughout the year. It's not just a a one-time-of-the-year program. It's a constant effort to say to our young men, if you're willing, we want to help you not only be trained, we want to help you get the opportunities that lie before you. Uh, We offer to take our young men and young women on mission trips, stateside, VBS mission trips, and even to Latin America. Again, as an effort to say, look at this. Is this something that you'd like to do with your life? Not just occasionally, but is it something you'd like to do with your life all the time? We want to encourage our young people, the ones that God has given the ability and God has given you a heart for that kind of work. We want you... Uh, to give your life in service to God in mission work or in ministry. And we want you to know that there's no congregation on earth that will support you any more than that, uh, in that than this congregation here at Mount Juliet. The announcement that David made this morning was a wonderful announcement. He did a great job with it. Naturally, one of the questions that comes out of that is, how does a woman major in Bible at our Christian colleges? That's in the missions area. Uh, many and some young ladies will major in Bible in the missions studies. And then just as this summer, we'll have one of our young women, uh, Christy Jackson, will be doing mission work from almost the day she gets out of teaching school uh, to the day she goes back to teaching school that fall in Peru and Honduras. And then also uh, this morning, visiting with us was Amy Fowler, and we will support them in their work as they will move uh, to Brazil just uh, this next year. And so we, we want to see young and old involved in the Lord's work in whatever area God has made that available and possible. And we just want to make more opportunities available for our young people. And so if, if that's something that you're thinking about, uh, let us know. And we want to encourage you and help you in any and every way that we can. Changes. Real changes require very intentional decisions, very intentional actions. There's not anyone here that just casually became a Christian. 
And if you think you have, you might ought to evaluate your Christianity. Because what God is asking us to do is to not just mask over some of our old person so that we can act religious. God is asking us to become new. He's asking us to take that old person and completely put it off. And He's asking us to put on this new individual that's made according to God, as we read in our text. This morning, if you look back on Ephesians, the fourth chapter and verse 17, and this is just by way of review, remember we're no longer walking as the heathens. The futility of their mind, their understanding is darkened, their heart is blind. But what the Lord wants us to do in verse 20, the fourth chapter in verse 20, and reading on there, notice, but you have not so learned Christ. Skip over a couple more slides there. Ephesians, fourth chapter, uh, look at verse 20. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man. Now, notice this. That old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Now we could spend an entire lesson developing these verses just as we did this morning. But that's really not what we're going to take the time to do. But I would like for you, if you can just give careful concentration to this next slide, as we simply lay out, this is kind of what the sermon would look like, at least in part, if we were going to spend the whole time on these particular verses here. You see, we have a choice. We can remain that old person, or he says, you can learn Christ, you can hear of Him, and you can be taught of Him. Now, I think it's very significant that he did not say... You can learn of Christ. Now that's good to do also. But that's when you hear Him and you're taught of Him, you learn of Him. But notice He said, learn Christ. What does that mean? You and I should not be only a student of Jesus Christ. You and I should be a disciple of Jesus Christ. A student follows the teaching. A disciple follows the teaching and the teacher. And so if we're ever going to cease being this old person, if we're going to put off this old person and put on this new person, we're going to have to say, Lord, not only do I want to hear what you say, but I want to learn you because I have a new life that I want to live. And the only way I can live this new life is to learn how you lived while you were on this earth. I want to learn you. I want to learn how you walked. I want to learn how you talk. I want to learn how you think. I want to learn how you interact with people and how you interact with enemies and how you interact with, you, with your uh, followers. I want to learn how you interact with your God, the Father. And see, we need to learn Christ. Now, of course, the only way we can learn Christ is to hear Christ and be taught of Christ. But notice as we look at this next one, coming out of verse 22, you put off the former man, that is the conduct that has to be changed, and notice the renewing in the spirit of your mind. Do you remember Romans 12 and verse 2? Be not conformed to this world, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove was that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's the way Paul said it in Romans 12. If we were to put these two passages parallel, it would be like this. Be not conformed to this world. In other words, put off your old man and be transformed. Put on the new person by the renewing of your mind. Anytime you and I start 
to walk with the world. We start to mock the world, imitate the world, uh, be formed by the world. We've become that old person again. And so what Paul is urging us to do is to lay that aside and allow our life to become a life in Christ. Learn of Christ. Learn Christ. Hear Christ's teachings. Put off that former conduct. Renewing of the mind that we put on the new man. Now, compare the results here. In 21 and 22, we see that truth is in Jesus. Now, now that's important because when we look also deeper in this passage that we're reading, notice what was in the old man. And the old man was deceitful lust. So what we want is truth. Or do we want to live by deceitful lust? And what does deceitful lust do? You remember this morning how your, your understanding is darkened because you're no longer enlightened if you're walking in the paths of the world as the heathens do? That's what happens when we live in the old man and we live by deceitful lust. We're not seeing clearly how we ought to live. Now, we can live in Jesus and now we're enlightened. Now our understanding is very much aware of what is true because Jesus is truth. Now notice that last bullet there where it says true righteousness and holiness is in the new man. Growing corruption is in the old man. In the text there, as he says, the deceitful lust and growing in corruption because of the deceitful lust, I thought that was real interesting when you look back at the fact that he said this morning that those that walk as the heathens walk, their mind is futile. And you remember a futile mind is a mind that is growing corrupt. And that's exactly what he says again later here. If we live as that old man, we're constantly ruining our life. We're constantly living a life of corruption. And so therefore, we do not have a faith system that recognizes what is true and what is false, what is moral and what is immoral. But if we live for the Lord, Jesus is the truth. And in that, we then have the righteousness and the holiness that is in God. A lot of things there to, to put together and fit together like a hand in a glove that just really gives us a lot of detail if we break it down of why we should leave that old man and why we should become that new man, but that new person is only formed by God. We promised those some nuts and bolts this evening. So let's go to the next slide and let's look at what we're going to lay out. Do you have a slide coming up that has old man on a column and new man? I may be out of order here. There we go. Notice, notice this slide here. If we were going to outline the following verses, he's telling us if, if we were going to remain the old person, we'd have a life of falsehood. We'd have a life of resentment. And that goes back to the verses about anger. We'd have a life of stealing. We'd have a life of evil speech. We'd have a life of malice. It may not be that we would do all of these things, but when these things are a part of an individual's life, they're living based on the old man. But these very same verses not only bring out the negative, because what he's urging us to do is to leave this old person and become this new person. So each of the verses talks about what we put on as the new person. We put on truth instead of lies. We put on self-control in times of anger instead of resentment and revenge in times of anger. We put on generosity. Now that's interesting as you compare it to stealing. And you remember this is the passage where he talks about stop stealing, start working, and then when you make enough working that you don't have to steal, now work a little longer and have enough to give. And then the next one where he talks about evil speech, 
Instead of having speech that tears individuals down, the new person has speech that literally builds people up. And then instead of having malicious acts, we have loving acts. Now here's what I need to note. With any of these uh, comparisons here, think about two individuals. And, and just think about someone that they always told you lies. And then there was someone else, if they told you something and somebody else said, oh, I don't know if I can believe them. And you say, trust me, if there's anybody on this earth you can trust, it's this person right here. You see, it's easy for us to think of individuals that are so different. It's easy for us to think of someone who's malicious and someone who's loving. It's easy for us to think of someone who has evil speech that tears us down and somebody else that has beautiful speech that builds us up. But friends, God here is not asking us to compare two people. Paul is writing here by the authority of God to say, I want to talk to one of you, us individually. And he's saying, are you willing to make that kind of swing in your life? If you're a person that has told lies on a regular basis, are you willing now to become a new person that says, I won't ever tell another lie again? If you're someone that has been someone that would steal or shoplift or deal dishonest, will you become a person that says, I'll never do that again. Instead, I'll work hard and be generous. You see, the Lord is not saying, hey, just stand back and look at the difference. The Lord is saying to us here, what will we do with this? Will we become this new person? No matter what the old has been, God's ready to forget the old. God can forgive our sins as far as the east is from the west. God just wants to know, are we willing to become that new person? Now let's look a little bit of the first two of these. Look with me, if you will, as we look at Ephesians 4 and 25. Let's look at this one about urging us to stop lying and to start telling the truth. Notice Ephesians 4 and 25. He begins with the word therefore. So let's pause here for just a moment. You know, anytime you see the word therefore, you have to stop and ask what it's there for. It's always there to link what's just been said with what is about to be said. Now, what has just been said? He's just been giving principles before. He's given principles to say, don't live like the heathens live. And he talks about their mind. He talks about their understanding. He talks about their heart. He says, instead, become that new person. Instead, be a person in Jesus, a person that lives the truth and has holiness and righteousness as a part of their life. That's the way they think. That's their heart. That's their mind. That's their understanding. So see, he's laid these principles out. And now he says, therefore, now that you have these principles, let's think about some nuts and bolts. Let's think about how it ought to be if we think specifically about, and the first thing he's going to mention is telling the truth versus telling a lie. So let's look at this. Ephesians 4 and 25. Therefore, putting away lying. Notice the, the choice of words here, putting away. What did we study earlier this morning, earlier in this text? About putting off the old man. You see, it's the idea of a total change. Just like you and I, uh, we change clothes and we put off certain garments and we put on another and it's an entirely change of clothes. We put off what? Lying. Therefore, put away lying. Let each one of you, here's what we put on, speak truth with his neighbor for we are members of one another. See that ownership, that responsibility that we have to each other? We are our brother's keeper. 
We are members of each other. We are not only members of the body of Christ, but we are members of each other as brothers and sisters in Christ's body. But we're also members of each other in the sense that we're sons and daughters of the human race that God created us after His image. We owe it to someone, if they are a stranger, to tell them the truth simply because we're members of each other. It is what is right. In other words, it's the golden rule. It's loving thy neighbor as thyself. Sometime in the scriptures called the royal law. We owe it to others simply because of the way God has designed us to share in relationships with others. Now, as we think about this line, I'd like for you to think about first, how big a struggle is it for you to lie or to tell the truth? I'm not asking you to answer out loud, but I would like for you to just pause and answer that in your mind. How often do you struggle with telling the truth? How often do you struggle with telling lies? There's a study that Robert Feldman did in an experiment with 121 pairs of students in a university in Massachusetts. He brought together 121 pair of students that had never met. He asked them to engage in conversation for 10 minutes. He videoed every one of their conversations. Afterwards, he got each of the students alone and allowed them to view their own conversation and to please identify any time in that 10-minute conversation that they told a lie. You see, they didn't know that when they were first meeting these people. They were just supposed to meet a stranger and talk with them for 10 minutes. Had no idea what the experiment was about. How many do you think told a lie? For what we would say, no reason. Just visiting with a stranger, more than 60% told a lie. And more than 50% told two or three lies. Friends, our human nature, our acceptance of lies in society has become the daily norm. If you and I are going to be different from the world, one of the ways that will stand out is this simple fact. We tell the truth all the time. That's what the new person does because they live a life in Jesus and Jesus is truth. And they live a life of righteousness and holiness we've just read. And there's no way that casual lying falls under holiness and righteousness. It is a shame if we as Christians would think that there's really not that big a deal about telling a lie every now and then, is it? Yes. As a matter of fact, when Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, He said, let your yeses be yes and your noes noes and anything more than that is of the wicked one. Where do those casual lies come from? They don't come from God. They come from Satan. And when we think in Proverbs, the sixth chapter of seven things that God hates, God hates, one of them is the lying tongue. If you would, go with me to Revelation, the 22nd chapter. 
Revelation, the 22nd chapter, the last chapter in the Bible, it's probably the third paragraph from the end of the entire Bible. This is one of the things that God would mention before He closes this grand book of the Bible. In Revelation, the 22nd chapter, look at verse 12, 13 and following. And behold, I'm coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. See, he's talking about I'm coming, I'm looking towards the day of judgment, and I'm going to reward each one. I'm going to have judgment on each one. And look at 14. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life. Now, friends, that means we're in heaven. And may enter through the gates into the city. We've entered heaven. But outside are dogs. You ever thought about Jesus calling people dogs? Who would God call dogs? But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. The very fact that I can't lie and enter heaven ought to grab my attention. The very fact that God would say, let me give you a list of some dogs and lying be a part of the dogs. And then the fact that for us and our human nature, where a lot of people say, well now listen, fornication or adultery is serious business, but lying's not that big a deal. Murder's serious business, but lying's not that big a deal. Look at the list that we find lying in the scriptures. And this is only one time out of many times that we see God placing lying among what oftentimes we call the most horrific sins. You see, I need to give careful, careful consideration not only to telling others the truth, but we need to tell ourselves the truth. You know the book, Telling Yourself the Truth. I can't say I endorse everything in this book, but I can tell you it's a book worth reading. I believe it might have been the Burkas that first showed me this book and what a help it has been in my life. Have you ever thought about how many thoughts run through your mind every day that if you do not discipline those thoughts, they're Satan's lies. And what happens if you and I constantly dwell on Satan's lies? Proverbs 23rd chapter and verse 7 tells us, as he man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Now, where do lies come from? John, the 8th chapter, verse 44, we know that Satan is the father of lies. Where does truth come from? John 14 and 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If I constantly think on things that are not true, before long, I'm going to start acting and reacting to thoughts that are lies. And therefore, Satan has had his way in my life. Let me give you one that may not seem big, uh, but just kind of to get us started thinking along this line. Have you ever fallen for the lie that, let's say that by 10 o'clock in the morning, three bad things have already happened to you? You know what the average liar will say to themselves? The average liar will say to themselves, if three bad things have already happened to them by 10 o'clock, they'll say, oh, this is a bad day. You know, odds are the day's going to get a lot better if three bad things have already happened to you by 10 o'clock. Probability would say that. Now, who told you 
that this was going to be a bad day. Because that way, you can go to 11 o'clock looking for something bad, because after all, it's going to be a bad day. You can go to 12 o'clock looking for something bad. Something real minor can happen at 1 o'clock and say, See, I told you, it was going to be a bad day. I knew it when I had a flight on the way to work. It had to be a bad day. 3 o'clock. Yeah, I knew I was going to get that phone call because that's what kind of day I'm having. What a shame. Just because one thing happens, we've convinced ourselves of the lie that Satan would love for us to have that now the day has to be bad. What about if we believe simple lies like this? I've got to do that. I've got to be a part of that. I've got to say that because I have to be accepted by them. That's a lie. You and I ought to have the heart and the attitude that says, I have to be accepted by God. What about the lie, oh, I have to have that. I've always wanted one of those. I've always wanted a larger fill-in-the-blank. I've always wanted a more expensive fill-in-the-blank. I have to have that. No, that's a lie. Truth is, godliness and contentment are great gain. Or what about, if they laugh at me, I'll never be able to walk back into their presence again. That's a lie. If they laugh at me, it may hurt my feelings. But I know that God loves me, and God accepts me. Friends, I don't know if that seems like minor things or major things to you, But I urge you to realize that any time we do not discipline our thoughts and we allow ourselves to believe lies, we are pulling a major, major hardship into our life. Why is it that we have young people that are 13, 14 years old that that believe nobody likes them, that believes they could never be accepted? I can assure you beyond any doubt, Satan has fed his lies. And individuals have believed it. When we have adults that that say, nobody in that church likes me, that is not a true statement. That is a lie that Satan has fed. And you and I have to decide, am I going to check that, discipline it, and dismiss it? Or am I going to believe the lie? And I'm going to live my life based upon a lie. I beg you. I beg you. If God wants us to tell our neighbors the truth, if He is truth, you know He wants us to tell ourselves the truth. In these last few minutes, let's look at another slide here. Let's go to Ephesians, the fourth chapter, verse 26 and 27, and and let's think about resentment or God-controlledness as it relates to anger. He says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down upon your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Anger is not a sin, but anger is a fertile soil that sin can easily come out of the temptation that lies in that fertile soil. Jesus was angry, but yet he controlled himself and he did not sin. Well, what is the secret? In our time of anger, we have to realize that it is not an excuse or it is not a license to allow ourselves to sin. Do you remember in in Genesis, the fourth chapter, one of the earliest stories we have in the Bible, God came to Cain and he asked him, 
why are you angry? He urged him to repent. But instead, he used that anger as a type of license for his action to go out and to murder his brother. And as we think about that of tying to murder, if you would go to Matthew, the fifth chapter. Sometimes when we see something in the extreme, it helps us to back it off and understand it even in other situations. When we say, you know, I don't think I would struggle with the temptation to murder someone. What Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, let me tell you what leads up to murder, and I want to tell you what you need to control. And he says, that's anger. Let's look at this as we begin verse 21. This is Matthew, the fifth chapter. You have heard that it is said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother without a cause, that's always dangerous, anger without a cause, shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Rakus, shall be in danger of the council. And whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. Notice this. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. And 25 and 26 is more teachings than just about make your reconciliation quickly. So you see, anger is not a license to do wrong because he says if it's not checked, it can eventually lead to murder. Think how many murders happen based on out-of-control anger. But now notice this. The anger needs to be brought in check quickly. Back in our text, he says not to give Satan ground. And he talks about resolving that anger even before the sun goes down. How many times have we seen couples in their 50th anniversary and someone say, hey, how, how did you guys stay happily married for 50 years? And they, they say, we never went to bed angry. And we say, wow, that's great advice. And it is. But do you realize that's not their advice? That's God's advice. If you want healthy relationships, don't let the sun go down upon your anger. We're giving a foothold to Satan. We're allowing the fertile soil of temptation to have time for the seed of sin to grow. We need to resolve anger so quickly that the Lord even says, if you've come in to worship, and you're bringing your gift to the altar, and you remember that there's still a difference, there's a conflict, there is a need for reconciliation, there is anger between you and a brother, you leave that gift at the altar and you go first and be reconciled to your brother. I like the example of a professor who went into a class and he held up a glass of water. And he said, how much do you think this water weighs? And some guessed 8 ounces, some 12, 16, some even said as much as 20 ounces. And he said, really, the exact weight of this glass of water is not what I'm concerned about today. He said, what I want to ask you, again, is how heavy is it if you have to continue holding it? He said, I wonder how many of you could hold this glass of water for an hour. And the class discussed that a little. And they talked about how they would start getting tired after an hour. 
They discussed if they held that glass out for four hours. As the hours up, they began to talk about how their hands would probably tremble and how their fingers would probably cramp and how there would come an hour where they could no longer hold something as light as a glass of water and it would crush to the floor. Friend, God is trying to tell us that if we're going to become that new person, anger is too heavy to hold. For very long. Now you may say, well, I've always been a little bit hot around the collar. Well, I've always been the type that I just don't work it out. I'll just let it fester for years. I beg you this evening to become a new person. Stop being that old person that your understanding is dimmed. And see the truth. That when anger is not righteously handled, it's deadly. Physically and spiritually, it's deadly. I'd like for us to close this lesson by looking at the last verses of Ephesians. It's Ephesians, the sixth chapter. And I'd like for you to notice before the amen, the last word. Verse 23 and 24, peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. The question I need to ask myself this evening as it relates to everything we've studied is do I love Jesus Christ in sincerity? You see, there is one of perhaps a few ways that we can define sincerity. But one way to define sincerity is singleness of mind. When we are sincere about something, it is first and foremost in comparison to other things. The Lord here is wanting us to love Him in sincerity. It's real, it's genuine, it's singleness of mind. Not, I tell you what, Lord, I'll be the old person, but I'll put on some good makeup. Other people won't even realize I'm still the old person. I'll put in some Grecian formula, people won't even realize it. I'll go to church on Sunday, Lord, we'll have everybody fooled. Is that enough? And the Lord says, no. I want you to completely change. I want you to be sincere. I want you to give me your all. Have you made that change? That change that's lived out even in the simple things like telling the truth, handling anger, the way we use our tongue. If you've never been baptized into Christ for the mission of sins, won't you make that change this evening? Won't you become that new person? If you have been baptized into Christ and along the way you, you've allowed the corruption to come back in and, and to ruin your spiritual life, won't you repent of that? Come back to God, confess sins and pray forgiveness. Let's all leave here tonight being that new person that God created us to be. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand as we sing.